Hello and welcome to the Arcade Heroes Podcast edition uh, something or other, one of those numbers along there. I should have looked that up, but uh, that's okay. We don't need to worry too much about numbers here. Uh, just uh, welcome back. It's been a little while since our last podcast. I'm Adam Pratt with ArcadeHeroes.com and joining me is Sean McDermott from All Castle Games. Hello, Sean. Hello. And a special guest that we're very excited to have with us today is Ben Heckendorn. How are you doing, Ben? Hello, guys. I am okay today. Okay. Just okay, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yep. Pretty average. Well, hopefully we can hope it's be a better day or something along those lines. <laughs> I know this podcast isn't that bad. Come on. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little laid back, but, you know. So, incredibly <laughs> so so ben uh was welcome to welcome to the show and uh we wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit about the arcade and your thoughts and uh do you hate the arcade or do you love the arcade that kind of thing um okay i mean uh, spill the beans <laughs> spill the beans um i certainly have opinions about arcades so, like, what what was the first uh, arcade you remember? Like, what you know, like, as a kid, did you go there, or did well, you share? Growing up, we didn't have arcades, but you know, it, they used to have video games, you know, on location everywhere. You did back have... in the day. Oh, okay. No, I grew up in a small town. The closest arcade was was probably Aladdin's Castle in Madison mm-hmm. on the west side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was there up until like what about ten years ago, fifteen years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, probably. 10 I, I was there when it closed so west yeah Town, west town mall yes that's correct mm-hmm. uh it was really cool to go to that um uh so uh probably the most times i would play would be like they always had the arcade games in the front of walmart and so <laughs> like when you get when you get dragged along with your parents to go to walmart so they can buy their crap they just leave you there which is pretty cool uh but yeah there you know there didn't used to be there weren't any arcades where I grew up, but you know, if we went to the bowling alley, they had like you know ten games. Walmart usually had about four or five. You know, they'd have Seven them at like, uh, yeah, the gas stations would have them. They'd have them in front of like the Ben Franklin, and it's just amazing like how many games there used to be around back then, and now there's hardly anything. Does, does Walmart even have games in the front of it? It's all Redemption now, isn't it? I try not to go to Walmart unless they absolutely have to. Yeah, they have gameplay, which is all Redemption. There's like one driver in there usually, I think. It depends. Like the couple of Walmarts in my area, some of them are just filled with claw machines and a couple of video games. Um, there was one that I saw that had a Batman game, but for some reason they didn't put the big Batman symbol on it. That's because uh, they would probably I, rip it off at Walmart. I mean, geez. possibly, but even <laughs> then, if you worked on, on that game, you know, that wouldn't be terribly easy to do. But yeah. <laughs> I, I got one. I could rip that off. Uh, well, they, but you they'd have a little food. kid up there hanging on it before you know it. Come on, I mean, sir, they would. Yeah, no Walmart. I, uh, out of all the games I've had kids climb on, I've actually never had them climb on Batman. But Was, wasn't that over in Sheboygan where that kid crawled in the claw machine? Was that? I thought. I don't know. Anyway, Happy time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so Ben, you're working on uh, some. Uh, pinball games now i guess right i mean is that what you're doing or you, you have your show i mean for the people that don't know like what you what your show is all about did you want to describe that or 
maybe they haven't heard you. Describe my web show or talk about pinball. Which one would you like me to start? I don't. With? Um, start with the show. Start with the show. What you're you're best known for like modding things, right? How'd you get into right. something like that? Um, well, I'd been modding things for years, and then around 2010, I was contacted by an ad agency who was working with uh, Elma 14, and they're like, hey, they want to have web content. You want to do a, a show, like a bi-weekly, I think it was at the time, web show. I'm like, sure. So we started doing that back in 2010, and it slowly has grown more and more complicated uh, <laughs> to what it is today. Now we have like four people, including myself, working on it during the week. And that's just in Madison. There's more people behind the scenes even beyond that. Uh, yeah, so we, you know, every week we do a new project or sometimes we might do a project that goes over the course of, you know, two or three episodes. Uh, lately, what did we do last week? Last week, oh, God, I forgot already. Uh, oh, we were doing a DevKit lunchbox. This week we're making what we're calling luggage detective. It's this thing you put in your checked bag and it, it – uh, logs all the uh, motion events so you can see how how it was handled in the oh, plane mm -hmm. that was cool. something that might be kind of fun yeah another one we came up with was um actually i think the community came up with it was magic smoke detector although we might change that one it was like a a relay control that you put on something so if the if whatever the thing is you know if the magic smoke comes out of the circuit board if it gets cooked it's like, oh, basically a smoke detector hooked up to a relay that like kills power if something gets cooked. But then a friend of mine suggested, he's like, hey, maybe it should just be like a certain certain temperature turns it off. That way it doesn't get cooked first. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good, too. Uh, so that's, you know, we do that basically every day during the week. That's like a full-time job. And then I do pinball on the side so, for so some reason. So you went from like modding like game systems and stuff to building your own like projects and then how did you transition into pinball and and the world of the arcade um well a long time ago i was i really liked the neo geo arcade system mm -hmm. it was really impressive mm -hmm. back in the day one of the first systems that was uh stereo or you know all of them were stereo um very cool stuff and of course when i was like 14 or whenever i how, how yeah i was 14 when that came out Obviously, I would have never had a chance in hell of having one. So one of the first things when I got older, I'm like, oh, I should try to buy the circuit boards, you know, like the motherboard off the Internet. And as you know, it's actually pretty, pretty affordable to collect for the cartridges. Mm -hmm. So I built my own Neo Geo cabinet. That was, I don't know, about 10 or 11 years ago. And I remember the reason I did it when I did was because Hurricane Katrina had just hit. And I'm like, well, plywood prices are probably going to go up pretty soon. I better build this now. <laughs> So, and after I'd done that, I'm like, well, now what am I going to, what am I going to do next? And I did, this is something I just did for myself. It wasn't for a customer or anything. And then I'm like, oh, I should build a pinball machine next. Like what's the next complicated thing? And that was it. And that's when I started uh, coming up ideas for the uh, Bill Paxton pinball machines. I started, I started working on that. Like, no, no, were you six? Were you an avid pinball player before that, or you just said, hey, we'll just build a pinball? Like, uh, I mean, I liked pinball machines, but I wasn't really that much of a player, nor was I any good at it. And I really haven't gotten much better at playing them. Uh, maybe just very slightly. I heard you were doing pretty good. I don't... Uh, uh, no. I, if we do a tournament, I if I end up in the middle, I'm happy. Okay. It's about the best I can hope for. So, Although I, I ended up in Division A of the last year's Mad Roland, and of course I immediately got creamed in the second round. So, <laughs> and how would you compare working on a pinball machine to your other projects? 
Um, well, it's astronomically more difficult. I would say right. one thing I like about it is when we do things on our show, for doing a build a week or even a build like in three weeks, you know, we've only mm-hmm. got that much time to work on something. And whatever we can get done in that time, that's as far as the project ever gets. Sometimes we come back and revisit things, but not that often. Mm-hmm. So, it's so, so it's something like a pinball machine. You know, you can work on it, you know, bit by bit over the course of, you know, a year or years. Uh, and that kind of <laughs> that kind of sucks as well because like, oh, my God, this is taking forever. But it also allows you to work on it to the point of like a natural completion. Like you have the time right. to develop it as, as fully as you might want to. And I'm still still working on America's Most Haunted. I've got another code update coming this spring or like probably May. Jeez. Yeah. That's how many how many have you done? I mean, what version are you up to on that game? Um, it shipped with version 13 of the code, and this will be 23. So there'll be Ooh. 10 code releases since it was so 10 code releases in about two years. So those people are getting a pretty good deal. I mean, considering what they pay for the machine, and they're getting constant updates. I mean, honestly, a, a big part of me doing it is I just want to see if I can push the value, this used value, higher. <laughs> I mean, I don't gain anything from that, but it's it might be fun. I actually emailed uh, one of the voice actors today and asked him if he would do additional dialogue or how much it would cost. So, mm-hmm. and I I know no one would actually want to be more dialogue in it, well, except for me, because I'd like <laughs> I'd like I'd like to add like a sub a sub wizard mode. I think would be cool because it doesn't have one. Basically, if you complete all the goals, you open up wizard mode, and there's like nothing in between. So. I think I might have, want to have a few other things in there. That would give the codes. The modes themselves are pretty deep, but the way the modes relate to each other isn't very deep. So I'd like to add more depth in that aspect. Uh, has anyone actually completed it with the glass on? Do you know? Yeah, uh, one or two people have beaten it, and I heard of this one guy who played through it, beat the wizard mode, and then played through it again and beat the wizard mode a second time. Jeez. Wow. But uh, yeah, I would say two or three people maybe. <laughs> It's it's pretty tough, but that's what people say they want. They want long, deep rule sets so the game has longevity in a home collection. Okay. Um, so you guys are working on um, Rob Zombie's Spook Show International right now. Now, how much input are you? I mean, how much hands-on with that game are you? Like, are you the? You're not the designer, right? You're just doing... no. That was Chuck's design. And you're just doing, what are you doing on that right now? I mean, are you doing anything or I mean, what? Yeah. Um, okay, so <clears throat> I did with Rob Zombie. Um, so I'm thinking back. Well, originally I came up with like some rules with Chuck. Okay. And originally I had this pitch idea and that you were going to be a new roadie in the band. And it turns <laughs> out you learn that everything is real. Like all these creatures are real. So it's kind of like, oh, if you want to be my tour manager, you got to beat the super beast and stuff like that. That was so I came up with the rules. For, that was the rule set we originally came up with. Um, but then Rob wanted it to be like straight horror, so no meta, uh, no meta side to it. So unfortunately, that didn't happen in the game. Uh, but I, I still have been working with it along, alongside everyone else. I mean, a lot more people are working on it. Whereas AMH was like basically just me and Chuck. Right. Um, this game, you know, we have a dots guy, a separate programmer, a separate artist. Um, yeah, like a lot more people are working on it. So as far as what I've done, uh, I took all the code from America's Most Haunted and like 
rewrote it into a proper library, like a pin heck library that operates with the board set. So I did that about a year ago, or not quite a year ago. So the new programmer guy, David Fawcett, would have you know a better base to create a game off of. And I also rewrote the audio video system. I mean, it's based off America's Most Haunted, but a lot has changed, and you know, it went to color, obviously. Right. Uh, I also figured out how to get the color display working with an FPGA and LCD. And then I've been doing a lot of like coding support. So if it's like, oh, we need an EEPROM to work, I'm like, okay, I'll write the drivers for that and whatnot. Okay. So I haven't really haven't really done rules, but I've done most of the underlying programming that makes it run, like the operating system, if you will. Uh, now okay. um, I got a question because uh, I remember there was one point with uh, John Popaduke that there was the Ben Hex Zombie Adventureland. Popaduke, sorry. Um, uh, are there any elements from that never released uh, machine that you've incorporated into either of those games? Well, the first thing to keep in mind with that game is that it was 100% John's idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was like, hey, Ben, I want to make a zombie. Everyone's asking for a zombie game. So I want to make a zombie game, and you can be the bad guy in it. And I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> is that how he talks, too? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> That's how John talks. Like, oh, yeah, the zombies are cool, man. Yeah, we're going to have this zombie chick with big boobs, and uh, it's an amusement park. It's really fun. Um, and I was, well, at the time I was like, oh, that's rather flattering. But the thing with John is he was always trying to teach you things. He, it was like, he it was like, he didn't really want to hire people to work with him. He wanted to hire people he could teach. Mm-hmm. And I think that was among one of many problems that he had. So instead of being like, Hey, look, Ben has made entire games by himself. Maybe I should like, you know, have him help. It was like, Oh, here, Ben, you're on the game as a character, and uh, maybe you can come up with ideas, but we won't use any of them. And so, you know, I basically didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I had anything to do with the game, which is why right. I was like, well, I, di- I didn't really quit the game, but John didn't like the fact that I was also helping Chuck, because you remember Chuck had that zombies, pinball zombies from Beyond the Grave thing at one time, mm-hmm. which he mm-hmm. turned into Bob Zombie. And, uh, and then, of course, this was long before Walking Dead came out. And right. uh, John's like, oh, Ben, you know, if you get, you know, work with Chuck on that game, I don't know. You got to make a choice, Ben. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> I chose wisely. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So design wise, I had basically nothing to do with those games. I'm not saying that to distance myself from John. It's just the truth. You know, had sure. I had I had more, you know, vested interest in the games from a creative standpoint. I, you know, I might have gotten more involved, which could have been a bad thing. I guess it would have been a bad mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, probably. Right, in retrospect. <laughs> but, but, well, yeah. I do. but also, you know, I think John should have, you know, I, you know, I'd say the best rule in business is hire people that are either better than you or can do what you cannot do. And John mm-hmm. hired people and paid them to do things, but still thought he was, you know, he would just do everything. Which I guess is the role of a creative director, but the thing is, he didn't really have any other any of the other backgrounds. Like he didn't have like an engineering department or an art department or any of those things. So it's mm-hmm. I'm sure he, I'm sure he could direct a game, but he couldn't direct all the aspects of what it took to actually build a game. Which is yeah, why his games right. were really nice looking machines that never got built and you know may not have functioned. Right, <laughs> more art pieces than anything else. Right, right. An art director could not make an entire movie or an entire stage play. 
Mm-hmm. Or if they did, it would just be a hollow shell. Right. Exactly what John made, basically. <laughs> but, you know, I did, I did learn a lot from John. Uh, you know, he taught me a lot of things about, you know, where to put ramps, why people shoot where they do, um, foam core. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot of stuff from him, but it's just unfortunate that he didn't practice what he preached. Right. right. Yeah, I was always curious about that because I remember covering it on the blog back when I first heard about it. But after that, it just kind of seemed to disappear into the ether and never really heard much about it again until he's doing Magic Girl. And then that all blew up. So. How well, much? Ma- Magic Girl was before the zombie adventure game. Yeah, it just wasn't very uh-huh. well known <laughs> for me, at least. Um, how much how much of like uh, John's influence do you think went into America's Most Haunted? Like how much uh-huh. of his teachings? Cause, the uh, the ramp on the right hand side, I put that where it is because John's like put it right here, and I'm like okay. Uh, he's <laughs> like that's that's the easiest place to make it hit. So yeah, I mean there's there's some stuff from John, uh, but you know that's probably a big part of it because uh, I when I think I was working on that game before you know John was like ah I don't want to be involved with Ben anymore. Yeah, I think you were because I mean I played I played your earlier games like Lost and um, I saw Lost and play it, but I played the the Bill Paxton and the, and that definitely that ghost interloop shot reminds me a little bit of something Circus Voltaire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which is oh, good. Actually, <laughs> that that reminds me. Yeah, that was one thing I learned from John. Um, he's like most players are most people are right-handed. So they want to push the right flipper button, which makes the ball goes goes to the upper left. You know, he's like, that's why most games have the big toy, you know, to the slight left of center on the play field. And he's like, so whatever you put there, make it do as much as possible. And that's why I have like, oh, there's a three bank target and a loop and a magnet so that you just get as much as possible out of that spot that people really like to shoot. So he didn't listen to his own advice on Circus Voltaire then, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who or knows? He had a left-hand play tester. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, maybe that's one of the reasons why. Well, one of the many reasons why it was wasn't successful back in the day. Well, as green, and then the balls would fall into the bottom of the the box yeah. on test. But that's another thing. But. Yeah, there's. Uh, <clears throat> I don't. Know if, well, I'm sure, obviously, you know about the curse of green machines. Mm-hmm. I think with Circus Voltaire, yeah, it was like people may not have realized why they didn't like the game, but that might have been why they didn't like it. Is because people had you know had dominant right hands wouldn't have anything cool to shoot for well unfortunately back then it was all operators that making the call you know i mean and if it performed poorly on test they didn't buy it and if they heard from their other operator friends that didn't perform well they didn't buy it you know that kind of thing so yeah because that game was pretty much like a colossal flop right yeah and i mean that's kind of the reason like a lot of those really good 90s games never really did well is because some operators weren't buying or they just you know they just didn't like they heard their friends didn't like them you know and that's it do you think i, I noticed you were on kanita's podcast uh, kanada <laughs> or whatever that guy's name is and yeah. you talked about how um licensed games are important and why photoshop almost is important because it shows the license rather than an interpretation of the license mm-hmm and if you think about it, like after about 94, Williams basically stopped making licensed games. All those games that we love now were unlicensed. And I wonder if that was part of the reasons. That well, you, you know what it, you know what it is? Because like the license makes the, the game age. And when mm-hmm. an operator has an old aged game, the, the locations will pitch. They'll pitch a fit. 
for at least for me. I mean, Adam has a different situation where he can choose more of what he wants to do. But for me, the location can pitch a fit and say, hey, that's a really old game. That's like Space Jam. Like, what? how old is that? So now we have to go and buy a new pinball machine because the damn license is old. Yeah, but, you know, there's a whole generation of, like, 29-year-old kids who think Space Jam's a good movie because they saw it when they were 10. So, you know, maybe it'll come around again. Yeah, but, I mean... But that's why it's actually, it's actually pretty bad. Like only 2.5 minutes of that movie occur in space. <laughs> but but you fact. get you get my point. I can get I know I, I know. can get like a medieval been... madness and that game. No one knows what the hell that is. I can say hey, this is a brand new pinball machine and wheel it in there. They wouldn't know the difference unless they knew pinball, which most people don't. So you're saying that's the negative with a photo collage? Uh, like so, in in 20 years, Game of Thrones will be an old. You know who cares about that? Well, game? yeah. Imagine if it was yeah, breaking. Some are really out now. Like if they made the Breaking Bad pinball instead, and that's already getting a little old. I mean, it's not super old, but I mean, it's not on TV anymore. It's it's in rerun, right? So. You think Stern was gonna make a Breaking Bad? Well, let's just. I mean, I'm just going by. Well, sure. they could because I mean, Stern. I mean, we all know about the Ghostbusters pinball, and they're using the old, <laughs> the old Ghostbusters to appeal to that nostalgia as opposed to the uh, new female cast. So, uh, uh, well, but, of and of course, Stern's of course kept not churning out the uh, the music band. I mean, and all of those bands are considered dinosaurs as far as uh, music goes at this point. Oh, did Kiss do well? I mean, you, you'd think any other genre, no one would give a crap about Kiss, but it seems like in pinball right. it could work. Yeah, I don't I, know. Not I sure. I, as far as I'm aware, the best-selling one, it was either ACDC or Metallica. Because I know Metallica, when they first announced that, they sold out of the limited editions pretty much within an hour, um, which I heard has happened with Ghostbusters. But um, ACDC, I know it's done incredibly well down in Australia, of course. Um, not sure. Common, common wisdom is ACDC is like their top title ever. Uh, I heard right. that, I heard Australia's paved with them, right? Is that you that said that? Right. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Oh, that makes sense because that's <laughs> where they're from, right? Yeah. 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 But as a, as an operator, I mean, the band licenses are easier because they you know, they're kind of timeless. But mm-hmm. but as for something like Ghostbusters, that's kind of it's a great looking game, and the movie's coming out now, and it's kind of it's kind but of it's green. Rel- it's yeah, it's green. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> but One the, of them is green. The, the, the yeah, but the pros are blue. True, true. Well, I mean, all, all Ghostbusters is going to like just sell hand over fist, no doubt. It doesn't matter if the license is old. No, but well, there's a I'm new movie tempted. which makes it relevant, so, you know. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, because like in, in the arcade industry overall right now, because the video side is also taking on this whole license obsession because you have Jurassic Park Arcade, you have Star Wars Metapod, Transformers, uh, Batman, and Aliens and all that stuff and it's because right now for when it's going to be selling that's where it's very easy where they don't really have to do any marketing they simply just slap the license name on there and that'll sell itself to whatever their market is and of course with pinball it's a little bit different um but i know i think gary stern's talked a little bit about that before hasn't he where he's uh discussed how the license makes it a lot easier to sell since you have that built-in fan base ready to go and you don't have to create a new fan base from scratch so to speak to try and sell people yeah on it. and it's it's not just not just the way to sell it but if a person walks up to a lord of the rings machine they're like oh 
Lord of the Rings. I know these characters. I know that you have to destroy the ring. Yep. They understand things about the game without having to be told. Right. And it even makes something it intuitive. like yeah, even something like Medieval Madness. It's basically an unlicensed Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So you don't right. really have to explain <laughs> things to him. But then if you look at our America's Most Haunted game, that's why there's so much goddamn dialogue in it. Is because you have to explain to to the uh, player what's going on. It's like, you know, like, right. so, you know, people will play Ghostbusters and they'll be like, that's a big Twinkie. And they'll hear the game say that and they'll laugh. But that's not a joke. It's a reference. It's something from the movie. Mm-hmm. So when you're creating when you're creating something original, you actually have to, you know, create your own jokes as well, because a joke only works when you have the context around it. Yep. Although they do have custom Ernie Hudson speech, which is pretty cool, although I just hope the dialogue that got written is better than for that like Spider-Man remake. Did you see the Did you see the video that was on Facebook recently? They for did Ghostbusters. That. Yeah, where uh, Dwight was playing it. Uh, no. Is there good speech? Yeah, it sounds really good. It has because yeah, has that Spider-Man the movie like, too. And that Spider-Man, it's like I'll never look at sandcastles the same way again. It's like oh god. <laughs> you can definitely tell that stuff that wasn't from the movie, from when you know, but it was a little. Well, they, corn- had, they, did, they had to change everything. No, they have movie callouts in it. I heard some. No, in Spider-Man? No, oh no, I'm talking about uh, Ghostbusters. I'm my po- my point is, yeah, if you look at like 2007 Spider-Man, someone actually wrote new dialogue for J.K. Simmons to say, and you know that, that's actually pretty funny. You know, eight arms. Why does he need to play this game? But then they make the Spider-Man remake thing, and the writing is just garbage. Oh really? So I'm just saying, even if they have custom speech for like Ernie Hudson in the Ghostbusters game, I hope it's well written. Well, um, did you hear the speech that they had uh, Carl Urban do for the Star Trek code update? I don't think I ever did. I've heard that it's kind of underwhelming. It's very few and um, between. I, I sit next to one all day long, so I get to hear a lot oh. nonstop. But uh, <laughs> I, I liked it. I mean, it was definitely better than what they had initially. And they had some jokes that, of course, were all insider Trekkie jokes and, and things of that nature. But uh, at least in that one. And to me, I thought it was it was pretty good, but I definitely understand what you're saying on the on the Ghostbusters. I mean, fingers I, crossed. I, I think it's great that you know that's what they that's what Stern used to do. They get a license and they hire a real actor from the movie to add additional dialogue to flush it out. And I mean, with the way right. their games are making money hand over fist, I mean, they might as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you, like they'll get Avengers. Like Avengers had a lot of problems, but the fact that it was like. You had none of the custom speech, not even calls from the movie, but like they just re-recorded it, right. like you know, shitty beast and whatnot. And it just—that's not what people want to hear, you know. It just no. like everyone knows what you know uh, Robert Downey Jr. talks like, or what any of the Avengers talk like. And when you're like, I'm Iron Man, it's like they don't want to hear that, especially <laughs> especially when you have Iron Man sitting right there, which is a better game, <laughs> and it's got real quotes from the movie. It also had a green <laughs> le. Oh no! Yes, <laughs> the whole hey, conversion. Hey, what about uh, Flipper Football from Captain Capcom? Remember that thing? That was green too, wasn't it? Oh, all green. Uh, soccer too, right? If I remember right, was it? It was called yeah, Flipper Football, but it was yeah, it was football in the in the context of European football. Yeah, we call that soccer. I don't know, but, but okay. Right. <laughs> well, so no, yeah, but they called it a football game because it was soccer in America. Fail, fail, fail. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and leave on it too. So you know. Anyway, um, well, um, so what are you what are you th- what are you planning to do for the future for pinball? Are you gonna do anything else, or you've had it uh, with pinball? Uh, you got enough gray hair from it? I mean, what's the story? 
<laughs> yeah, I do have some gray now in my beard, so I never grow it now. Me too. It's too bad because I used to have like you know nice dark red hair, which is almost like brown. You know, as far from red as possible is good. Um, I don't know. I mean, Chuck is looking at like some licenses possibly. Um, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty good bet that there won't be any more unlicensed games from uh, Spooky Pinball because uh, they're hard. You know, they're hard to do. We had, we really, really struggled with American Most Haunted, and it's too bad it didn't sell faster at the beginning because then we probably could have sold more or like you know had a had a higher limit and then made more money. But it is what it is. Um, in fact, I would say that well, we had talked about doing a follow up to America's Most Haunted, not another run, but a completely new game. Right. And the premise it was well, the name of it is America's Most Weird. If if we did it, I mean, it's it's only been discussed. And the premise is instead of looking for ghosts, they'd be looking for urban legends. So you'd, they you'd be going around the country, and you'd have like different locations. You'd have like uh, a chupacabra in Texas, <laughs> uh, a skunk ape in Louisiana. Uh, an alien in Nevada, uh, a Bigfoot like in Michigan, a Montauk monster in New England, right? Yeah, or uh, <laughs> of course there'd be a Jersey Devil in it. And, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, or uh, yeah, that was kind of the premise. And each creature would be—they uh, wouldn't be scary; they'd be goofy. You know, they'd have like a—they'd all—they all have something they want to do. Like Mothman would want to be a crime fighter. Chupacabra would be a Latin lover. Bigfoot would like want to try to find a girlfriend the alien would want to probe you there'd be like each creature would have like a motive i don't know how i turned it into a game at the moment but that was a follow-up idea we had as far as an unlicensed uh title uh there'd be a posthumous woman too that's not well known so no, no. oh darn <laughs> <laughs> only if you want to that would be for the ultra obscure wizard mode yeah yeah i was i, I would i would just pick the six six most well-known urban legend creatures in America and then use those as the six modes. It'd be fun, too, because then you could go to different locations. So you could have, like, Texans saying things and New Englanders and Jersey people and, you know, kind of like in, you know, Attack from Mars has all the stereotypes of how people talk. Same kind of mm-hmm. thing, just in America. That definitely mm-hmm. sounds like a, a good, good idea. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Um, actually, to throw this out really quick, Sell Sorry, more than 150. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, and that that's actually not bad considered uh, with some independent video games. I've heard of numbers that where they only reach like 40. So uh, I guess 150 is not the worst. But uh, Yeah, and especially a pinball machine obviously costs a lot more. So there's yeah, more. Yeah, definitely. That. Um, but, you know, right. it's kind of the point where, you know, Chuck's looking at licenses, but it's like, if he gets licenses that there'll be more demand and then he has to be able to meet that demand so i mean there's a lot more than 300 people that wanted a rob zombie game yeah for instance uh, is she the one that was looking into a mystery science theater 3000 license because i heard somebody in wisconsin is i just haven't been able to figure out who it was exactly where did you hear that from and when from Trace Below, him, for listeners that don't know that name, he's the guy that played Dr. Forrester and Crow in Mystery Science Theater, the TV show. So I met him at Salt Lake Comic Con last year, and I talked about pinball because I had uh, my pinball game there at the con, and he started telling me that somebody approached him to do the voice acting work for a Mystery Science Theater pinball, um, but he didn't want to get paid for it in, in cash. He just wanted 
at a pinball machine and the person turned him down because they didn't want to give him a pinball machine away. And so hmm. he was disappointed in that because he just wanted a, a pinball machine for himself because he liked pinball. <sighs> and I know well, he's a Minnesota yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Oh, gosh. I wonder if, well, oh, what the hell. Yes, we looked into it. Um, I think what happened with that was um, – yeah, we were we were talking to people, and the problem was that um, I think everybody wanted a game. Oh really? Mm-hmm. And it would have, it would have been getting to the point where we would have been having to give out like I don't know how many. I mean, there's nothing wrong with giving people a game, but I think for the scale of the license and the scale we were at at this time, and this is before this is even before America's Most Haunted took off. I mean, we were talking like 2014, so you know uh-huh. we, we didn't have as much you know wiggle room for stuff. It was something mm-hmm. – if, if, I think if you had like three or four of the main people plus the company, you're talking about like it was five or six games we were going to have to build wow. plus the licensing mm-hmm. costs. And at that time, it was a little too uh, a little too rich for our blood. Uh, right. But that, And then now yeah. that's all been – it's being remade, right? Like Joel Hodson has like a Kickstarter for, for that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? Like if we wouldn't have had that game done in time – and if we would have still been working on it when Joel created his new season, would that caused a licensing conflict? Because our, right. our idea was have it based off, you know, we try to get the original cast. And that's, I think, mm-hmm. I think also uh, Kevin Murphy had, I don't know, he'd been approached. I don't know if he had, a, if he had agreed, but I was mm-hmm. like, you know, Chuck, we can only do this if we have the actual voices. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's that's too bad. That's too bad that uh, that's too bad. Crazy was disappointed about it, but it just yeah. At that time, it it didn't really work for us. But you know, who knows? Now that Mystery right. Science Theater is coming back, uh, maybe maybe the time is right. I mean, I was also a little concerned. Uh, one of the concerns, I th- I think sometimes you have to divorce yourself from uh, the things that you love because I'm a big big right. huge fan of Mystery Science Theater. So is Chuck. But if you were to draw a Venn diagram, like this circle is pinball people and this circle is mystery science theater fans, mm-hmm. is there enough overlap to sell enough games to, uh, right. to basically meet your goal? And something like America's Most Haunted, I mean, you know, we said that at 150 because like 100 is like the break even. Like there's basically mm-hmm. no reason. If you can't build 100 of something, you shouldn't even try, which I think was John's problem with Magic Girl. Like John right. would have been much better off just making the zombie game instead of uh magic girl because they're, they're like you, there's no there's no reason to do a bunch of r d to make 16 copies of something <laughs> yeah uh, one other thing with mystery science here is a license um again i really like it as a show but uh you know chuck was like talking to people but i wasn't sure if uh it would fit pinball like how the rules right. work. And that's I, that's what I thought. That would be difficult because you have so many different movies that are very different from each other. And I mean, the jokes are, yeah. like you mentioned earlier, have to be in context. And so that's where it's tough. Yeah, I think the idea was uh, there would be like, well, I, shit, I, I remember like six years ago, like uh, hanging out with Tanya Kleiss uh, and uh, Jerry Ellsworth talking like, wouldn't it be cool to make a mystery science theater pinball machine? I mean, was the idea on forever. Was it Jerry Ellsworth making a pinball, too, at one point? <laughs> Yeah, she was making one she called was. Seen on TV. Yeah, that, that never materialized, apparently, I'm assuming. Well, yeah, because then she went to Valve, and now she's doing the cast AR, which has been pretty successful. But yes, you're right. She still hasn't finished it, so she better finish it. And now <laughs> Tanya was at Stern, so you know everyone 
you know, a lot of people ended up with pinball anyway. Uh, but yeah, the idea was like the robots could uh, trash talk your gameplay and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess there was a lot. There's a lot of factors where, you know, we kind of got cold feet on it, and uh, I think Chuck may have offered them a bit too much on a per game fee, and I think that was just due to due to our inexperience. Oh, gotcha. Because remember, we have, we have to pay more per game because we make fewer games. Like you basically right. have to pay usually between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to do anything. So if you're stern, that you know amortizes down to like fifty dollars a game. Uh, but if you're mm-hmm. us, or like even if like the Predator guys had somehow hail mary passed and got the Predator <laughs> license, yeah, they would they would have had to divide like I don't know, let's say seventy five thousand dollars into two hundred fifty games, and that you'd be like two hundred fifty dollars a game, and then that just wouldn't mm-hmm. have worked. Bomb. So I guess my point is like, yeah, the fewer games you make, you had to pay a certain amount no matter what. So like if you're like a licensor, you're like you're, that person's like, oh, I want a hundred grand, and as the manufacturer, it's, you know, your responsibility, like, okay, can you divide that cost up into the games and still have it be a small enough item on your bomb? And for a small right. distributor like us, or even like uh, Big Lebowski, who, you know, allegedly the Dutch pinball way overpaid for that from what I've heard. Um, you mm-hmm. have to divide that into your quantities. And, uh, you know, if you start talking like $400 a game or something like that's ridiculous and it's not going to work. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm, 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 I hope Chuck doesn't try to murder me for for saying that. But I guess if uh, if Trace said it, you can blame me. I brought it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's too bad. That's too bad. That's because in, in some way it's like our decision not to do something, you know, was disappointing to someone I really enjoyed watching in the '90s. So oh, well, maybe yeah. someday. I would yeah, have been no, a buyer never, for that one. Never seen it. I'd personally I'd love to do. Uh, if I could do any license, I would probably want to do Futurama. I think it would really, uh, yeah, uh, would be... it would work with pinball. Uh, Matt Groening's a fan of pinball. The modes would be the, the deliveries and the planets. It would really be straightforward. I think a lot of people, they're like, well, Iron Maiden's a perfect example. I like Iron Maiden. I like pinball. They should make an Iron Maiden pinball. That's the logic that people put into these. <laughs> See, I don't get that. The fans, oh at least. Well, they want Iron Maiden because Iron Maiden has iconic artwork. And people like artwork on pins. That's all they care about. They, they they want them to look good in their homes. But it's like, okay, name. You see, all, all you can go on pin side, type in Iron Maiden. It's actually the number one phrase on pin side. Oh. Nothing exceeds Iron Maiden. <clears throat> but there, in not a single one of those posts will someone actually type up, okay, here's an idea for a mode in Iron Maiden. Here's an idea for a <laughs> rules. None of that. Like People have, don't put any thought into it. They just think Iron Maiden pinball. We could have a and fear of the dark mode, right? 3D paint. It'd be a fear wow. of the dark mode, right? And then there'd be a oh god, I don't even know any other main songs. Run, <laughs> run, run to the hills, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> what's, that, what's that song from the movie Heavy Metal? Five minutes to midnight. Oh, oh yeah. That's not Iron. That's not Iron Maiden. I thought it was. No, it's not. Oh. Five minutes to midnight is not Iron Maiden. I don't think so. I Heavy don't... Metal would be a cool, a cool pinball machine. Yeah, that would be better. I mean, but they did probably have to license all that different types of music, though. It'd probably be nice. Uh, can you imagine like a heavy metal pinball machine with Alex Horley art? That would be badass. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Oh, I guess I didn't really answer your question about future pinballs. I'm actually at the moment I'm not working on anything. I'm just helping with Rob Zombie to get that out the door. But... You're not working on the pizza game. No, actually, I have nothing to do with that. I've, I've seen the, I've seen it. I've seen the cabinet. The cabinet's actually really nice. The like some NASA engineer won the contest, and it's 
not to stereotype, but it's actually really good looking for something designed by an engineer because you see, you know, engineers and artists aren't the same. But uh, I was quite impressed with how it looked. Nice. I, Scott from Wooly uh, drew all that. Oh, okay. You know, Wooly Scott. All right. Any other questions before we go? Adam? Hmm. Good question. <laughs> um, uh, I guess, uh, are, what are you looking forward to from other factories that are doing pinballs? Because you have Stern with Ghostbusters, you have Highway Pinball, Jersey Jack, anything from those guys that you're looking forward to? Well, um, I was, I'm seriously thinking about maybe trying to dump my attack from Mars before the value crashes anymore and maybe get a Ghostbusters. I think that looks like an incredibly strong game. I'm, I hope I get to play it in right. Texas next week. Um, as far as other stuff, uh, not really. I, I do think that uh, Andrew Highway's pinball system actually has a really lot. Of, that has a lot of really smart ideas in it, and I kind of mm-hmm. wish he, he got more credit or interest. And again, you know, full throttle is an unlicensed game. Equals people don't care. It's quite. It's quite simple uh alien you know alien will have a lot more interest obviously because it's a it's a license you know people people yeah. online are like we want unlicensed games which actually means they want licensed games <laughs> I, that was definitely something i figured out or we figured out there's a, on, is basically people want the opposite of whatever they say they want in andrew's right. games there's no rollover switches is there i didn't see it. no it's uh hall effect sensors no not i'm sorry inductive sensors yeah see i got in trouble for uh-huh. saying that yeah, isn't it similar to what Atari used way back in the day for their few pins? Something along those lines? I can't remember. I don't think it's, so. Uh, it's closest to how uh, a Theater of Magic detects the ball going in the outline and catches it. Mm-hmm. It's basically, um, the switch creates a small magnetic field, and when a steel object passes over the field, the field collapses right. slightly, triggering the event. Actually, it's the same way if you're at a stoplight, and you know the stoplight knows your car is there. Mm-hmm. Same mm-hmm. thing. Or like how they know that you're at the drive-thru. Your car sinks, basically sucks up the magnetic field and causes a, a dip. Yep. So basically, just think of it like a giant a giant uh, stoplight detector. It's 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 <laughs> in all the redemption games, like uh, Ice Claw Machines and Barber Cuts have right. home effects sensors. It's a good idea. I mean, that, that's, a, that's the kind of stuff that Andrew's doing that I think is, you know is progressive it, for industry and it seems and also, like the ball's faster because there's no switches to roll i swear to god the switches must slow the ball down it seems like that thing goes faster because of it that would make sense. yeah, yeah. Um, i was looking at hilton's uh the other day and he was talking about that i was like yeah it's he's like look there's less drag and i'm like oh yeah you're right yeah that game is really fast i think it's pretty fun and it, it's the rules are pretty good it tells you what to do the lights make sense there's a ton of crap in that game for six thousand dollars i honestly don't know how he sells it for that much or that little, I should say. Uh, and I also think uh, Jerry uh, Stellenberg's P3 doesn't get enough credit. Um, mm-hmm. If someone, again, it all comes down to licenses. That's all that matters. If someone were to make like a killer license for Jerry's game, like uh, like Original Tron, like a killer license with his system, I think people would just go nuts for it. But the games right. he, I mean, yeah, he says he's got more games at TPF. I'm curious to see what those are. But the current stuff he has, like with the uh, Lightspeed Racing or whatever it is, and then the uh, Lexi Lightspeed, again, they're original themes. And uh, they're also, the themes are kind of a little confusing. So that it takes it takes themes for people to get excited. So it's really going to take Alien for people to really <laughs> take Andrew seriously. And I think Jerry should, you know, look into a license as well. Okay. 
<laughs> well, Ben, um, I'm going to try to get us out of here. Uh, All right. <laughs> well, I've got schedules and stuff to do, so yeah, I got to get back to writing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I I appreciate you coming on and everything you do for the world of yes, pinball. Thank you. And uh, hopefully, we'll hear from you again. All right, guys, have a good day. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Well, that was great to have Ben on, and thank you, Sean, for being able to uh, get him scheduled and and on. So hopefully, no problem. That uh, went well for everybody out there listening. But uh, I guess just to uh, close us off, uh, won't really be able to throw in much more to the podcast. It's just um, this week will be Amusement Expo in Las Vegas. So among titles we expect to see there, Ghostbusters Pinball is definitely going to be one of those. So I'll be able to get my hands on that. I'll definitely shoot some video and share that online with any impressions if anybody's looking for that. Um, let's see, what else is going to be there? Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. Uh, Luigi Mansion Arcade, possibly with an English translation. That w- would be nice. We can only hope. Um, it, <laughs> yeah. Because I got to play it at IAPA, but it was all in Japanese. And while it was playable, it probably would have been better if I knew exactly what was going on. And um, let's see, MotoGP would definitely be there. Um, possibly Killer Queen Arcade. I'm not 100% sure if that will be there. Uh, the new Roth Reels version. Because I asked them about that, and they said it would be at the nightclub and bar show, which happened last week. Um but they didn't confirm if it would be an amusement expo or not. So um, kind of hoping it is since I keep hearing about that. And That's a good been game. A popular <laughs> and supposed to be even better now with all those uh, improvements and whatnot. Yeah, they so, put stickers uh, on the side, looks like. Well, they did more. <laughs> they did, I know, uh, I'm just giving them shit. Right. Uh, um, continue. Then, <laughs> let's see possibility Qbert would be there. I mean, we've seen pictures of the Qbert Redemption game um, previously out on test, but uh, just waiting to see if that, when that'll be at a trade show. And then of course, cruising, um, which I still assume might be Roth Reels if they are continuing with that. And uh, also Bandai Namco might have uh, Wing and Midnight Maximum Tune 5. I know there's a lot of uh, Maximum Tune fans out there that have been wanting Namco to bring that, that series back over to the States uh, since they kind of didn't really do that with 4. And, yeah, that's it for what I can guess. Anything you want me to keep an eye out for, Sean? Well, definitely check out the Ghostbusters and definitely let me know if there's a cruising game because, damn, I'll be buying that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, seems like, I mean... In a way, that is a license because it's so well known at this point. And even though Supercars was, and uh, Fast and Furious games were pretty much cruising, um, I think that name attached to that, again, will do really, really well. Okay, well, that sounds good. Um, get, a, get a chance to play Killer Queen while you're there, and uh, I'm going to have to let's get a scent off here. And Sure thing. So go ahead. Um, you can catch us at... Uh, allcastlegames.com on the internet and on Facebook it's uh, All Castle Games as well and Adam you can go ahead yeah and uh, thank you all for listening once again and uh, you know where to find us at arcadeheroes.com got all of our social 
media channels from YouTube to Facebook, Twitter, Google+. Plus. Um, I even created a new MeWe group. That's a newer social media one that nobody's on. And, uh, of course, Tee Public for our T-shirts and anything else. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have another podcast your way probably early April, maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully some after-the-show news, I hope, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. There's always a dearth after the show. But uh, we'll see what we can do. But thank you for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you later. Thanks a lot.